Good morning. My name is Emily Combs. My husband, Ed Combs, and I moved here recently. We don't know many of you, but we're beginning to. This morning, I want to share a little bit about our oldest son's recent death in the hope that we have an Easter. We often say, bye, without a thought in our lifetime, for there's always a knowing that this goodbye isn't forever. In the past two years, we have had several difficult goodbyes. The first goodbye was to our church family of 38 years in 2012. Recently, we said goodbye to our oldest son, Dan. The last goodbye was wrenching. Life seemed to stop and fall into a deep black hole for me. Memories of my little boy were constant companions through those days following his death. I counted the times I said goodbye to my children, our four children, as they left home one by one. One left through marriage. One left leaving a list on the kitchen table ending with the words, Kiss Mom. We left one child in an empty house to be sold after we moved to Arkansas. And the last child I left in college, the tears flowed as I drove away. Through the years, we have been blessed with many visits with our children and grandchildren. These times always end with goodbyes, a circle of prayer, and family hugs. And that came from Karen. The goodbyes seem to come more often in our family as we age. I sat beside my parents as they each took their last breath. The verse in First Peter says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. God has given us a short journey on this earth. That is his purpose for his created ones. God sends messages. And I received one a year or two before my dad died. A message floated across my mind during a visit with my parents. This is the last time you will see your dad alive. Last July, the same message came to me as our son and his wife left our home after a brief visit. The message was so very strong, I wanted to run outside for another hug before the car took them away. I shrugged off the ominous message. Surely not our oldest son. He couldn't die. At the end of the month, I received my last phone call. I didn't know it then. To tell me of his concern of an impending open-heart surgery that never took place. Instead, in September, Dan was diagnosed with brain cancer. He fought for almost seven months. He endured four surgeries. On September, or February 17th in the evening, the call came from our grandson that his dad had died. My heart was broken. So many of our family, friends, and church family prayed for healing. 
I prayed as I went to sleep and woke up praying during those months. Many nights I didn't sleep. I prayed for healing. But it was not to be. God had other plans. I know I share this pain with so many other mothers who have lost a child. It is not new, but it is painful. My grandmother lost four small children. I wonder, how did she go on? I know her steadfast hope and faith was in Jesus Christ. The Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. The Jesus whose name is love. The Jesus who is the truth, the life, and the way. And the Jesus who conquered death and rose from the tomb. Jesus, the good shepherd. After a time, God's peace fell on me. I knew with certainty that this same Jesus who conquered death loves our son. Even before his conception. That same Jesus holds our son in his arms. There's nothing to fear. I gave our son into his hands. There are still tears of mourning of our earthly separation, yet I know we have the eternal hope that only Jesus gives us. Jesus is real. Jesus lives. I know that there will be more pain in this life, but this time of sorrow strengthened my faith in Christ Jesus. When I read verses like this in the Word, I know without a doubt where my faith and my trust lie. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one by one, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Isaiah forty twenty six. You may wonder why I can still rejoice this beautiful Easter morning, and it is glorious. This is my secret. I want to share this scripture with you, Luke 24, 1-6. On the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them in their fright. The women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Thank you. Yeah, Emily's faith and her hope allows her to see what others just can't or won't see and so I want to be more like her I want what she has I'm so privileged to to get to worship in the same congregation as her and the others of you who share of God's unfailing love we're going to talk about hope today 
hope that allows you to see what others miss. Does the name, uh, does the name Martin Hanford ring a bell to anybody? Martin Hanford. Well, you'll know who he is when you see this next picture. Martin Hanford has given us Waldo. Now you know who he is, right? Most famous cartoonist you've never heard of or something like that. So where's Waldo? Or if you're from the UK, where's Wally? I didn't know that before this week, but over in the UK across the pond, it's Wally, but I guess the marketing department got a hold of that in America and said, let's make him Waldo. Okay, so where's Waldo? Millions, millions of uh, where's Waldo books have sold, and it kind of makes you wonder why. Why is this silly cartoon character, this silly illustration, why has why he just gone viral throughout the world? Here's a few reasons. Number one, he's just so ordinary looking, right? I mean, you can be looking right at him without even knowing it. That ever happened to you? Which leads me to another reason. It's, you know, because he's so ordinary looking, because you can be looking at him without even knowing it, it's just hard to find him. I mean, who'd buy all those books if it was just this big face in the middle of the page, Right? But I think the best reason why he's so popular is that when you finally find him, there's this joy. In fact, this is what Martin Hanford said. He said, I like my readers to see wonder in places it might not have occurred to them. Huh? Reminds me of someone else who's no cartoon character. A real person who was hidden and then seen with life-changing effects. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. You'll find that on page 885 of your church Bibles, and if you're New here at Windsor Road, this is your first Sunday at the church. Why, you don't have a copy of God's Word, please, please take uh, that uh, church Bible in front of you. Put your name on it. And please take it home as a gift from Windsor Road. I'm going to read verses 13 through 27, Luke 24, 13 to 27, page 885 in your Bibles, and it's also up on the screen. That, that very day, that is the day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. We think that's seven miles round trip. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas 
answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this, in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those uh, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is God's word. It's a great scene. (laughs) Uh, Two disciples... Uh, not, not two apostles, not two of the twelve, but two of the disciples. That is, two close followers of Christ. There they are, trudging home after a weekend in Jerusalem. Well, one of them, his name is Cleopas, and the other is an unnamed disciple, quite probably his wife. They're having a conversation with one another as they're leaving Jerusalem, heading back home. They're kind of recounting the events of what went on that past weekend. It was the Passover. It was to be a weekend of momentous celebration as God's people filled the city of Jerusalem. And it was a a time of, of, of hope. It was a time of celebration. It was a time where they remembered God's redemption of his people from Egyptian slavery and the entire Passover event. It was to be a a joyful, momentous time. But they weren't very joyful as they were trudging along there. They were recounting what had happened. Luke literally says that they were playing catch with one another. They were playing conversational catch with one another as they were on their way home. One of them would throw out a a disappointment and the other would throw back and I don't know. I can't believe that what has happened has happened this past weekend. Can you? I know. I thought he was the king. I know. How could it have turned this way? I don't know. Why did Jesus let Pilate do what Pilate did? I don't know. One threw out a disappointment. The other threw out a doubt. And there they were playing this conversational catch with one another as they were traveling. What are we going to do now? I don't know. 
Suddenly a voice from behind interrupted their catch. Excuse me. Don't mean to interrupt, but I couldn't help but overhearing what you were talking about. What is it that you're talking about? They turned and there he was. Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Standing right there. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's, he, there he is. Standing in, this, in the body. We'll find out later it's a body that, that, that has hands and feet and flesh and bones. A body that can eat. Later on in Luke's gospel, he'll ask for fish. A real body. Now, not a, res, not a resuscitated body. There's some, there was something physical about that body, something transphysical about that body. But there he was, right there, the risen Christ, asking to be led into this conversation, standing right there. And yet Luke gives us this very, very interesting phrase here in the gospel. It says in verse 16, Cleopas and his wife, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What's that all about? That sort of, is this this resurrection body some sort of X-files, mutated, uh, you know, chameleon-like morphing of the body? Is that what we're going, is that what, is that, is that what's ahead for us? Well, I don't, that may be reaching it. I don't know. In my professional opinion, I don't know. But I know this, their eyes were kept, literally seized from seeing him. They were blinded to the truth that that was Jesus standing before. They weren't blind to one another. They weren't blind to the road. They weren't blind to the blue sky. They were blind that this stranger in front of them was in fact the risen Christ. And his question literally stopped them in their tracks. I hadn't seen that before. It's amazing how you can see and read a passage of scripture over and over again and then something just pops at you. And he asks this question and verse 17 says, they stood still. They had been walking, but Jesus asks the question and they stood still. And it's like Cleopas is going, well, where have you been this weekend? Are you from another planet? Are you from another world? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, it'd be like if uh, someone said to you on September 13th, 2001, what's all this 9-11 stuff going on anyway? What? In what sand pit has your head been in? Every red-blooded American knows about 9-11 and every red-blooded Hebrew knows exactly what happened in Jerusalem that past weekend. Cleopas is just puzzled that this stranger is so ignorant about the things of Christ and yet ironically Cleopas himself is in fact ignorant that the stranger is Christ it's beautiful i love it what is this conversation that we're having what, 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 don't you know what just happened this weekend to which the stranger says and what just did happen this weekend i'd like to know what your take on this weekend has been Hello, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. 
man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers handed them over to the Gentiles and condemned him to death and crucified him. Stop right there. Already, Cleopas has demoted Jesus from son of God to prophet, right? The commander-in-chief has been demoted to corporal. And why? Look, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped. Past tense hope. Hope gone. Hope lost. He used to hope, but now he no longer hopes. We had hoped. Huh. Anybody here know of anything like this? I uh, found a wonderful definition of hope this week. And here it is. Hope is what happens at the intersection of desire and expectation. Hope is hope because it is a desire attached to an expectation. It is a desire um, wedded to the expectation that that desire be fulfilled. So we have this precious treasure and we take this precious treasure and we carefully and, and gently place it into the hands of someone or something that we believe will protect this treasure and nurture this treasure and fulfill this treasure. And when we do that, that's called hope. Hope. The Cleopas' problem isn't that he hoped because your heart is a hope factory. Your heart manufactures hope. Uh, I mean, you can live, what, four minutes without oxygen or, uh, uh, what, not even a week without water and maybe a month without. You can't live a minute without hope. Your heart is a hope. His problem wasn't that he hoped. No, no, his problem was where he put his hope. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. What does that mean? Redeem, you mean from their sins? No, from Rome, from the iron arm of the Roman Empire. See, Cleopas' problem, Cleopas problem was not that he hoped, and his problem wasn't that he hoped. I mean, he had the right person, but the wrong job description. Cleopas had this, Cleopas had this general Patton view of the Messiah. George Patton, whose life was, oh my, so dramatically portrayed by George C. Scott. Remember that movie? Remember the very first monologue in that movie? General Patton takes the stage. The American flag is behind him, says, now let me just tell you people something right off the hand. No man ever won a war dying for his country. You win wars making the other poor uh, person die for his country. (laughs) Edited for Easter. (laughs) You say, where did Patton get that? He got it from Cleopas. 
right? Because you see, that's what that's Cleopas wanted a Messiah. He had a view of a Messiah. And in, in his view, his Messiah would come and raise an army that would overthrow the mighty Roman Empire. And then that army, and then out of that army would rise a nation in the glory days of David and Solomon. That's, that was Cleopas' view, I'm telling you. That's what he meant when he, we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. The only thing that Cleopas didn't factor in was the cross, the crucifixion. Because he had, he had no category for a crucified Messiah. That, that, that just didn't compute at all whatsoever. We look at the crucifixion. It's a religious symbol to us in the 21st century. In the first century, a, cru- a cross meant only one thing, and that was Rome was in charge. And if you get in Rome's way, listen, the Pax Romana, that 200-year historical piece of Rome, it was a peace attained through violence, through the violence of the cross, as all any type of oppressor was absolutely put down and crushed publicly and gruesomely. And that's, that's what Rome did. And so Cleopas had no computation for a crucified Messiah. Crucifixion is what happens to someone who tries to liberate Israel and finds out too late that that was a mistake. We had, we'd hoped that he was the one. No hope now. Uh, just that phrase made me think about some questions for myself and for us like this. Where is your hope right now? Where is your hope? Yes, your heart is a hope factory. Yes, your heart manufactures hope, but where are you putting that hope? Where are you putting, where are you depositing your hope investments? Is, it, is your hope in the here and now? Is your hope tethered to the things of earth? Is your, is your hope a horizontal hope? Is your hope in the hands of flawed and finite people with whom we burden such high expectations that they are absolutely guaranteed to disappoint us? I fear that some of us may be putting our hope in inanimate objects. I fear that some of us want inanimate objects to give us a reason to get up in the morning, but they never will. They never will. And and we're asking a thing to do what only God can do. And in the end, that kind of horizontal here and now hope is going to disappoint us. It doesn't matter how wonderful the situations in our life are. It doesn't matter how beautiful our possessions are. It doesn't matter how exciting the experiences are. And it doesn't matter how loving the people are in our lives are. They will only satisfy us temporarily. They simply cannot carry our hope. They can't. They're not designed to. Cleopas said, we had hoped. We had hoped. And and then these 
other things have happened this morning. Verses 22 to 24, some women from our company, crazy women from our company have come back and they've said they've been to the tomb and they've, they've said the tomb is empty and the body of Jesus isn't there anymore and they're talking about visions of some angels who claim that he's alive and then some from our own group have gone to check it out must be thinking of Peter and John and they've found it yeah, just as the but 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 him they did not see verse 24 but him they did not see as if to say if only they had seen him standing right there if only they had seen then that might possibly be the missing puzzle piece to make all of this Sensible in some sort of way. If only, if only, you get it. But him they did not see. They're seeing him right there, right now. But they're seeing, but they can't see them. Why? Because they're blinded by here and now hope. Church family, hear me. Here and now horizontal hope will blind you to the presence of God in your life. I mean, Jesus is standing at arm's length away from these two, probing, testing, asking. You know, if you took away every reason to believe God, would you? And the best they can muster is past tense hope. These two need a pastor. Right? Don't they? They need a pastor. What do you think a pastor should say to these two? Huh? Hey, I know the answer to that question. I'm a pastor. Yeah. These two came to me. Why? You know, I would want to provide them a safe place. We'd have a conversation and I'd look them in the eye and I would give active listening skills and feedback and active sympathy and oh, so you must be saying or so this must feel like it. I would do that in a, you know, an authentic way, maybe more than I'm conveying right now, but you get the idea. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what I would do. That's what we do. And I would pray with them, and I'd say, let's, have, let's, let's get an update, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not because that's what we do. And you know what? All that would be well and good, and that's exactly what Jesus did not do. Oh, he listened, and oh, he looked. But then afterwards, verse 25, he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I'm going to try that from now on. Huh? Yeah. I don't know who's going to meet with me next, but now you know what I'm going to say. I'll clear up my calendar, won't it? To play some golf. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Well, Jesus can say that. And he did. Oh, foolish one. Oh, fool. Now, not the kind of fool uh, of the Sermon on the Mount that he forbids, but the kind of fool in Proverbs. Oh, foolish ones. What's a fool? According to the book of Proverbs, a fool is someone who chooses to live their life 
other than according to the word of God. That's a fool. You and I, we have an OS. We have an operating system. And some of our operating systems function under this programming code. What I want. What I think. What I feel. That's our OS. And the book of Proverbs respectfully would say, that's foolish. Oh, foolish ones. No, a fool is someone who lives their life with an operating system other than the word of God. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart. Slow of heart. Now, he wasn't calling them dim-witted. He's calling them obtuse. Your you, you're, 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 you're faith, you, you're not trusting. You're not believing. What? The Word. You're not living your life. Listen, when you are slow to believe the Word, you're going to be quick to quit God. You need a Bible study. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Cleopas and his wife had this on-demand Jesus this on-demand Messiah and it needed to be reoriented and realigned according to the word of God. And so we get to verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And the answer is yes, it is necessary. We're not talking about a a George Patton Messiah. We're talking about a a Messiah who would suffer. And I love verse 27. It's really my favorite verse in this entire passage. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus led a Bible study to Cleopas and his wife, about Jesus. Oh my. I would have loved to have been on that walk. Huh? I wonder, did he, did, beginning with Moses, I mean, so we, let's go right back to the beginning. Huh? How about in Genesis, there at the fall, Genesis chapter 3. Remember when God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and yours and you will strike his heel. Painful wound, but he will strike your head. Mortal, crushing wound. I wonder if then Jesus went to Genesis 22, Abraham offering Isaac, where God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice, only to find a substitute at the very last moment. I wonder if, since it had been the Passover weekend, if uh, Jesus took them through the entire Exodus narrative and the Passover lamb whose life and blood was shed as a substitute for the people, that the Messiah would do that for his people. I'm even wondering if uh, Jesus uh, went to Samson in the book of Judges. Like Samson, Jesus would bear the Holy Spirit in his life. Like Samson, Jesus would be bound by the leaders of his people and handed over to the Gentiles. Like Samson, Jesus would be mocked as helpless. And like Samson, Jesus would willingly give up his life. In his death, 
Like Samson, Jesus would bring a deliverance that far exceeded all of the other deliverances in his life. Jesus, the better Isaac, the better Exodus, the better Samson, the better David, uh, even Esther, who said, if I perish, I perish. And Jesus did. He's the better Esther. Oh, my goodness. Step by step, Jesus put the pieces together. And now we know how to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. We know that that, that the story is that God sometimes delivers not from the darkness, but through the darkness. God's story is not about how some tiny uh, uh, New Jersey-sized Nation of Israel is going to hit a grand slam home run in the bottom of the ninth and beat Rome. No, that's not it. Rather, it's about how our creator God will bring a saving plan to this world through the suffering of a king. These two, these two, Cleopas and his wife, they were lost. They were lost because they thought they had a key that would not unlock the door. But maybe they had the wrong door. Maybe the the crucifixion did not disprove Jesus as Messiah. Maybe the crucifixion did, in fact, prove that he was the Messiah. Maybe... The cross was God's means of going nuclear on Satan and the powers of darkness once and for all. See, the reason why we lose hope is because we have this view about how we think God ought to act and when he doesn't match our view, we get mad and choose to live like he doesn't exist. The reason why we lose hope is because we want God to be in our story. And let me say it lovingly again and again. You know, God is not interested in being in your story. He wants you to be in his story. It's a better story. It's it's, it's It's a lasting story. That's what Jesus was saying. You're part of a larger story here. And as he taught his very own word, the story of God acting to restore and redeem his people, this burning aha came over them. The cross was in fact essential to God's plan. The cross was no accident. The cross was an appointed course of action. The cross was evidence that God is in fact in control. Was it not necessary? Yes, it was necessary. Had to happen. Some of you, some of you have prayed in your lives, oh God, make me like Jesus. And God says, okay. And you get falsely accused. And people gossip about you. And you get pinned to a tree at work. and You're bloodied and bruised. And you cry out, Lord, what are you doing? I'm answering your prayer. And then we remember Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. 
And right then, you realize, maybe for the very first time, that the cross always comes before the crown. Always. Suffering always comes before glory. Always. This is, this is God's story in which he's invited us. Well, verse 28 says they arrived. Right? Wow. They drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus, well, this must be your stop now. This is Emmaus. I'm, I'm going to be going on. Stay! Stay! They urged him strongly. Verse 29, stay with us. It's toward evening. The day is now far spent. And stay. Okay, so we went in. He stayed with them. Ate with them. And at the table, I love this, the guest became the host. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And what happened next was nothing less than the reversal of the Garden of Eden. Remember that first couple, Adam and Eve, by eating a meal, a forbidden meal. Their eyes, their eyes were opened toward evil, which led to sadness and despair and shame and blame. Here in Luke chapter 24, there is a reversal of Eden that occurs where a couple who are sad and sullen and depressed, they, their eyes are now open to what God has done to reclaim what was lost in Eden. The scripture says in verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Oh my. But, but, but listen, don't, don't miss this. Pay attention to this. Jesus didn't merely appear. He revealed himself through his word. He went back to the beginning. And as he revealed himself through the very simple everyday activities of eating and drinking and the ordinary events of everyday life, the walking along the road. Uh, you know, listen, I, I fear a lot of us are waiting for a voice from heaven before we become a Christian. And, and you know, here's the deal. Uh, one out of a hundred of us typically have that kind of experience. And, and you know what? I mean, it's for real. It's dramatic and it's true. But here's what it's like for the other 99 of us. A person or a problem begins to pull at us and we say, okay, God, I'll be open this time. And then we learn that Jesus is in it and your heart begins to burn after they had seen Jesus who gave them a clear picture of lasting hope in his word, they no longer asked the question, why did this happen? But who can we tell? Who can we tell? And verse 33 says, 
They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and they found those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And and listen, keep going. As they were talking, see, they saw Jesus twice that day. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. That's straight from Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who publish glad tidings of peace. You're now an ambassador. Cleopas was the one who told Luke, this eyewitness of what occurred. And now we have it. Not horizontal hope, but eternal hope. Vertical hope, hope that lasts beyond this life, the hope that Emily just spoke of, the hope that so many of us know of, a lasting hope that comes from the Word of God as our eyes are open to the Son of God who speaks the truth of God. Peace, peace. Because listen, if God can raise the dead, is there anything too hard? If God can, if God can raise the dead, is there, is there anything too, is there anyone, listen, is there anyone else worthy of your hope? And so we pray. We pray with the psalmist. We pray on this Easter day. Oh, Lord. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things written in your word. The word of hope. Amen.